in, in, in this way, that somehow we, we continue to believe that we bring something to the table in the gospel. And in the first chapter of the, of the book of Colossians, where we've been walking through verse by verse, for those of you that are guests, we've been kind of walking verse by verse through Paul's thoughts to the church at Colossae. And he's kind of reached this apex in verses 27 and 28 where he's saying to us, you know, there's this incredible sweet mystery that is being unveiled that's not been known for ages and past, but it's kind of rolling out to you right now. And, and what, this is one of my favorite verses, but it's not written in isolation. Because Paul writes this verse and he says, I want you to understand this, that it is Christ in you, that's your hope of glory, and, and I tend to lock in on that because it's one of my life verses. I tend to lock in on that and not maybe reflecting back on what he said in the entirety of, of the message prior to that, which is that Jesus is the Redeemer, Jesus is the Reconciler, Jesus in the cross is enough that Jesus is before the foundation of the world. Jesus spoke the world into the being. And ultimately what he's basically said is Jesus is the supreme center of everything, and so, here's what the gospel brings to the table. The gospel is this idea of trade. It is the trade of your best and what you think you bring to the table for the great and eternal treasure of Jesus Christ. Meaning that if you're coming in and thinking, there's something I'll do that will please Christ, something that I, that I can move forward to please Him, with something I'll wear, someplace I'll go, someplace I can be about, something that I'll do, some place that I'll join. He's looking and going, no, no, it is not your best. The gospel is better than that. It is the great and eternal treasure found in Jesus Christ. And please stop trading your best for the gospel because it will lead to utter failure. And what I believe he's saying to the church at Colossae is this, trade nothing except Christ. Trade your life for no nothing except Jesus Christ. Give your life to no one but Jesus Christ. For here's what I want you to know, this mystery. It is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. And so please don't make the gospel anything else. Don't make it your best. Don't make it what you bring the best to the table. The gospel is the trade of your best for the great and eternal treasure of Jesus Christ. I just want to read a couple of verses. I think the Word of God speaks so much better than I do, and I just want to kind of think about these verses for a moment. For instance, in Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28, um, Paul, it's just, I can't see, I've so marked up 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them, to them being the Gentiles, God has chosen to manifest Himself and to make known this beautiful presence of Jesus Christ. Because here's, here's what he's saying that's maybe I can infer a little bit in this. Because the Jewish people have tended to give God their best. And they've tended to be pretty proud of their best. And he's saying, look, 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 you're nothing better than a Pharisee or you're nothing better than a religious subculture when you think that your best substitutes God's grace. There's nothing there to offer because God's eternal, vast, beautiful treasure is what you long for. And Paul's then saying, so it's, it's Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. And then the outworking of that, it gets so stinking exciting. And we won't even hardly touch this this week. So here's what we're about with the riches of the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. We warn all with wisdom that we may present. Listen to this. This is your call if you're a follower of Christ that we may present everyone that falls in our sphere of influence with maturity in Christ. Another Greek translation of that is perfection in Christ Jesus. 
So it's not just that, oh, wow, we get Jesus and praise God for that and little responsibility. No, no. Reality is when we gain Jesus, we then turn around and say, God, who have you planted in my life? Where have you ordained me? What work environment have you dropped me in? Here's the fun one. What family have you dropped me in? What neighborhood have you dropped me in? And God, I have the rich privilege of fleshing out Christ in me, the hope of glory, and really looking before you and saying, God, here's how I've lived out my life, and I simply present your life through me toward them, and here it is, it's an offering. And I really want, if I can, for the people around me to see somebody who is infinitely mature in Jesus Christ and who is guiding them toward maturity. That's my role according to the scripture. That I get, I get, I mean, this, this was always for me, once again, a feel good scripture until I read verse 28. It is Christ in you. And I would always look and say, and you've heard me say this, so sit on the edge of your seat. I mean, this is the great news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the trade for your life for his, the hope of glory found in Jesus. And then I read verse 28, and I went, oh my goodness. And so because Christ lives in me, there is this responsibility or privilege that I have to be able to say, God, because of that, the people around me will clearly see you, and they will become mature and perfecting in Christ Jesus. What What an incredible privilege. So I started to wrestle with this and say, so God, what what are you looking for from us? How do we trade our best? Because the gospel is a trade of your best for the great and eternal treasure in Jesus Christ. And so if that's the gospel, if that's, use the word gospel, if that's the faith, if that's what we're being baptized into, if that's what we're celebrating, then how do we respond to that? And I, I glance back to the Israelites and they baffle me until I look at my own life. The Israelites had all these incredible moments, their best moments, God's best moments, and they hadn't gotten to trade yet. And I, and I, it mind boggles me. For instance, if if you were an Israelite, let's go particularly to when when God spoke through Moses and they were liberated from Pharaoh and from bondage. Let's just go with that form of Israelites because that's where I kind of see this the best. I mean, they had you could fill in the blank. They had this great moment where they would say, "God, we've just seen you do." Fill in the blank. We've just seen you have incredible plagues that have set us free. We've just seen you lead us across the desert. We've just seen you split water for our sake. We're probably going to see that again. We've just seen you provide a fire at night. We've, we've just seen you, we've just seen you provide manna for us. And so we'll just park there. Here's their great cycle. Here's where they always run with this. Oh my gosh. Did you just walk out? And then they would turn and go, Oh God, we worship you because we were hungry and manna just fell from the sky. Are you kidding me? And it's one of those spiritual high days for them. They're walking around because it's it's a best moment for them. And they're just so primed for this. God, thank you for manna. And God just kind of gives them instruction. It's, a, it's just enough for this day. It's just enough for this moment. Don't hoard more than enough. If you do, it will spoil. I'm going to give you enough to trust in me this day. And they were going, we love you, God. We love you, God. And they're, they're writing songs. They got the banjo players over there for those that like Southern gospel. They've got the organ center for those who like more traditional. I mean, they're worshiping like crazy. They're celebrating the reality of God and they're loving this. And then day after day, they wake up and they're going, this is manna again today. Manna's again today. And then they start going, this manna's okay. Songs start kind of waning. They start celebrating a little bit less. And, and then the next thing you know, they're going, can, you know, one of them whispers to another, is this seriously manna again today? Are you kidding me? We now get something different. And then that starts a whole uprising among them. 
Then the grumbling starts. So we're, here we are. God, you're so amazing. We love you so much. We're getting a little bit tired of manna. We really hate it. We hate manna. And then I always love this part. This part as a pastor really rejuvenates my soul because typically when people are doing that, they move out of that into, we hate Moses too, you know? We're so frustrated with God and we're now frustrated with our leader. We're frustrated with this whole thing. Can you do something better, God? Can you do something next, God? Can you do something bigger, God? And then and then they're just off on this unbelievably grumbly road all the while, every day of their lives while they're in this we love you, Jesus, all the way down to we hate our leader and hate everything. He's still dropping manna from the sky every day. And then, then just one day they wake up and there's quell. And the guitars come back out and they lift the organ and start singing again. And we've got quell! Hallelujah! And this, this isn't just, this is the cycle of, of we love you, God. We don't know if we like this God. We don't know about this God. And, and this is what's crazy for me. We walk this through multiple plagues and experience out of the desert, the parting of water, water coming from a rock, food falling from the sky. Then it turns into a buffet. And I, I, I look and I read this through, I read through the Old Testament times and I think, how in the world did they get there until I look at my own life? And I just see the own cycle in my life of God. I can't believe that you bless me with this. I just want to sing you a new song. And then I, I walk through and I have these experiences. And those experiences often turn into something that's my best or something I want to do for God or something I want to go for Him. And here's what the power of the gospel is. The power of the gospel is the presence of God and that being all that we long for. And the power of the gospel transcends when we stop saying, what can you do for me next, God? What have you done for me lately, God? What have you given me lately, God? And we just move into this realm of trading our best or our moments and beginning to say, oh God, you are the great and eternal treasure. And only you, not manna, not quell, not fire, not seas. It is just you. You are the desire of my soul. And so God, I am stopping being satisfied. I am ceasing to attempt to find satisfaction even in what you have provided from your hand. Because what is coming from your hand still is not the satisfying. It is you, Lord. It is what I long for from you. And that's why Paul is writing them and saying, don't you get your position, who you were before me? And here's why it's such great news. Christ is going to come and live among you. But better than that, he is going to live in you. And it's going to be satisfying. And it's going to be completing. And here's the problem with the church is we still tend to give God our best. And that's missing the gospel. The gospel is the trade of our best for his great and eternal treasure. And His great and eternal treasure is Himself. His great and eternal treasure is His life and His glory. And we're still sitting around going, what can you do for me, God? What can you do for me, God? And I I love Ephesians, the second chapter. I can't not read this in context of this moment in Ephesians 2. It's just some fun verses. Good gravy. The whole first two chapters are just amazing. You should just memorize them. I mean, it's just phenomenal what we gain in Christ, you know? 
And I don't know if you get excited about that. When I start reading that, I see Jim standing in the, in the baptistry and talking about being adopted by God and knowing that in chapter 1, it says that it's not just beautiful children from China that get adopted into a family and eternally adopted into Christ. It's us, you know? I mean, we gain this eternal adoption. And he says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, first of all, all of this predicated says, you were lost, you were, you were, you were in sin, you were in trouble, you had nothing and I, the greatest statement in, in Scripture, but God. And I love the but God moments when it says, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love, which, which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Listen to this. He made us alive. Not just baptismal nice moment. Here's the Gospel. He made us alive together in Christ. He, he interwove us with Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the trade of our best. The trade of what we bring to the table. And it's the trade for the great and eternal value of Christ being in Him. For if there's, here's what you have to know. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by the grace of the cross that you have been saved. And here's not just the grace that you've been saved, but you have been raised up. Now listen to this in context of Colossians 1. You have been raised up with Him and you have been seated and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here's the purpose. So that in the coming ages He might show you the immeasurable riches of the grace of the kindness of God in Christ Jesus. So when we start talking about the Gospel and trading our best, we're trading our best to sit in the middle of the eternal Gospel story of Christ and to experience the incomparable riches of Christ in heaven, in wholeness, in fullness, through Him. Please stop giving God your best and embracing the great and eternal truth of Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel. God, I'm not not wanting to do more for you. I'm going to fall in love with you. God, I'm not wanting to offer something to you. I mean, yes, it's going to require. In fact, if anything, as you continue to read verse 28, there will be radical things that happen in us. But it will not be that cycle of, I love you, God, I'm tired. No, no, it will be this passion that drives in us because we're trading our best for the great and eternal treasure of Christ. And when Christ lives in you, you should buckle up. When Christ lives in you, you should just buckle up and say, we don't know what's about to happen, but Jesus' heart's going to move and His heart's going to beat in my heart and He's going to move me toward His people, His mission, His work, and it won't be my best, it will be His glory. That's, that's the beauty of this scripture. And, it's just, and then it goes on and just says, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. And, and then, so just in case you wonder anything about the gospel, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, lest you consider that you should boast in your best. There is nothing that you have to boast about. For you are his workmanship, and you were created in Christ Jesus. And when you fall in love with Christ Jesus as his workmanship, he has already advanced created work for you. That's just Ephesians 2 play. He's already moving in you, and he'll move you toward what he's about, and he'll move you in you. And I, as I see this, I, oh my goodness. As I see this, I thought, you know, God, what are these riches that you have for us? And I, I picked this up on the way out. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is um, Revelation 2.17. It's just the coolest verse. He's writing to the church at Pergamum. And, and he says this. He says, all these riches, I cannot wait. And, and maybe this is just a good spot to, to close because I think this is a great thought for us as we start to say the gospel. 
is the trade of our best for God's great and eternal treasure. Here's what you should know. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have embraced Jesus as Savior, here's what it says in Revelation 2. For those who overcome, and and it says, and he's talking about those who overcome, lots of stuff. Terrible teaching, bad theology, um, a pull away from the things that are Christ-centered, a compromising of your faith and your action. To those those who overcome that and who fall in love with me, um, I love Revelation 2.17. First of all, based on our story, it says, when you walk into my presence in heaven, I will give you some new manna. Does that, I mean, I don't know about you. I didn't get to experience the manna road deal thing. Did you not want in? When you read the Old Testament story, don't you want in on that? Like, just what would it be like for, for food to fall from heaven? I mean, wouldn't you love that? Just to say, how did that happen? Well, apparently we get that. I don't know how that's going to play out, and you, you can ask me explain it, and I've kind of read varying commentaries and thoughts on that. There's a lot of ideas. What does this new manna mean? All, all, all I know is this, that it will be the trade of my best for the great treasure of God, and somehow in heavenly realms, God is going to give provision to me in new manna. And that's just, that's just, wow. Something to look forward to in heaven. But this is the part that I think is incredible. It says in Revelation 2.17 that there is a white stone. And on that white stone, God will share with you a name that he has that only you and he will know. I I don't sense that you're seriously excited about that. For me, that means that I'm going to sit down with the Lord in heaven. And at some point in my experience in the heavenly realms, that I'm going to sit down with my Savior. And he's going to reach into his pocket or if he's got on that, you know, linen thing, he's going to, I don't know what, If maybe he built a pocket in. I don't know how it's going to work. Or he's just going to hold his hand out and poof, it will be there. You know, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work, but he's just going to sit down with me and he's going to say, look, here's the white rock and here's what we share together. And, and, I, and I, by no means am I suggesting I'm right in this. This is just how I view this moment. Um, I've seen a lot of people with different ideas of what will be on that white rock. Please forgive me if you have a different idea. Um, this one just moves my heart. I believe that what he will reveal t- to us on the white rock will just be the character that he has been developing in us. And this is who I was who I was becoming through you. And, and, and here's, what I, here's what I want, is I want to look at the white rock and say, God, I have seen that happening as you bore out in my life. And I, and I love thinking of Colossians 1 in context of this. God, I am a person as I look at what you call me, and I look at the treasure that you have in me, and I look at you as my great and eternal treasure. God, I love this. I have been discovering, I have been discovering the power of the cross. I have been discovering the power of your resurrection. I love this. As I, I look at the white cross, I'm understanding my definition of God. God, as I sat down in you and I traded my best for your great and eternal treasure, I begin to understand what Colossians 1 taught me, that I am fully forgiven in Christ. God, I started to shape what you were shaping in me. God, I began to understand this. This is what Scripture teaches us, that I have full peace with God in and through Jesus Christ. God and I are no longer at enmity. Christ has covered my sin. I am beginning to understand as I look at this rock what it means to be redeemed by you. God, I understand what it means to be forgiven by you. I understand what it means to be bought with a price. Therefore, God, out of that, I just simply glorify you. God, I understand all of these beautiful things. I understand what it means to be justified for you by you so that somewhere around 30 some odd years ago, I really stood before the Lord. And in that moment, once and forever, I was seated in heaven. 
As a nine-year-old young fellow, I was seated in heaven with Christ, discovering the riches of the gospel of grace. And this white stone, it's not surprising me, because I traded my best at that moment for his great and eternal treasure. And the Lord God will sit with us and say, this is who you were becoming as you discovered more and more and more of me. And you stopped giving your best, and you you started reveling in all of who I am. And the gospel is this, the gospel, the beautiful message of the church of Jesus Christ, the message of all of us in this room who know him is that we have stopped attempting to give the Lord our best. And we are resting in the great and eternal treasure of Jesus Christ. And one day we'll sit with He'll pull out a white stone. And he's just going to share such an intimate moment celebrating the power of the gospel. I love this. To them, to us, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles. That's most of us in this room. Are the riches of the glory of this mystery, this gospel. It is Christ in you. And that is your only hope of glory. And because of that, listen, Him we proclaim. As a church, we are shouting the glory of His name. We warn everyone. We teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I will toil. I will spend my life struggling with all the energy that is in me. Because, here's the truth of the gospel, because he powerfully works in me. The gospel is the trade of your best for his great and eternal treasure. Settle for no less. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Christ. I pray that we would just... God, I pray that we would wrestle around with our our often works-based religion and 